Um, I was going to skip the slides, but there's a map I want to show you guys later uh, to go with it. I'm just really excited to preach. Like Going till midnight, I feel like I could do that. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. I'm dead tired. But this passage of scripture that's set before us in Acts, honestly, this is it for the church. If we don't grasp the teaching here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' last words, we've missed our purpose. So I'm really hoping as we get into the study today that your hearts are open because what God wants to do through his church isn't going to happen unless we're willing. You guys understand that? There's things he wants to do. And he's a giver. Isn't God a giver? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, Jesus went back. Okay, great. The son came, but he went back to heaven. He's with his father. But didn't he give his Holy Spirit then? (laughs) Our, Our helper. Okay, but there's so many that don't receive from God, and I think a big part of it is because it's going to cost something. It means you're going to have to do something with it. And I think what God desires to give to us, okay, is it's definitely a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? James 1.18 tells us it's a gift. But you, many of you guys are parents, wouldn't you be bummed out if you gave an extravagant gift to one of your children and they did absolutely nothing with it? Yeah. I don't know if I'd even bother giving that gift if I knew the heart of one of my kids would just say, well, I forget it. I want nothing to do with it anyways. You know, And God knows our hearts. And I do believe, guys, that we can choose to seek him we can choose to align our hearts our will according to his and isn't it easier to do that the closer we get to him because we get to see more of his goodness more of truly who he is and why he does things the way he does them and that's what i've really been praying for us as a fellowship this last week because what we're about to go through in scripture you guys are familiar with Okay? You understand these teachings, the need of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I will tell you, brother and sister, unless you desire to live for Christ, to be light and salt in this dark world, what's the point in having the Spirit? To be empowered to witness if you're not going to do it. And I know there's a desire because I hear from you guys. I just pray for Doris, Pastor. Would you pray for this opportunity? I'm meeting with so-and-so this week. Would you pray that I would be able to share the gospel with them? I know the desire is there. And all we need to do is ask. So, let's get into a study. (laughs) Um, Well, before we get into study. (laughs) Um, This week I was... uh, looking at some pollsters and not posters <coughs> pollsters <coughs> and um they said that <coughs> 72% of Americans don't even know who their next door neighbor is now you know my heart on sharing the gospel with people and us needing to love our neighbor that's important but that just blew me away like i know we don't know neighbors But when I heard almost three-fourths of all Americans don't even know their next-door neighbor, that's nuts. We're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if we don't even know who our next-door neighbor is, (laughs) how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? 
There's some scholars, as we consider the book of Acts, that estimate that over the 30 years from the span, the whole span of the book of Acts, that the Christian church grew from 120, okay, among the Jews to over 100,000. That's just the Jewish people in 30 years. And we know it was much greater among the Gentiles. It just exploded. Wouldn't that be cool? Out of a small group, 100,000 people come to faith in Christ in 30 years. I'm going to be turning 40. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if out of this little bitty church body that there would be represented over 100,000 people in this valley that came to faith in Christ just because we went and shared what we knew to share our Lord with others. I think that'd be awesome. Is that possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at the 12 disciples, guys. They turned the whole world upside down, (laughs) you know, in their short lifetimes. So, if you think about that, If we really think about the book of Acts, we could really do a church growth study out of here. A lot of people have a lot of ideas on how to build the church. Man's philosophy, man's ideas. What does God say? Well, we get to look. You want to build the church? The book of Acts lays it out for us. So really, church growth study here, Acts, would qualify as a valuable source for discovering principles and procedures for spreading the gospel. And that's something we think about, we talk about, we pray about as a church. We don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to be just a comfortable little group doing our own social little thing, making each other feel good. You guys know that church isn't a club? Okay? It's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's wanting to do. There's a lot of good things that come as a byproduct of it. So... As we consider here this morning, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, this is really Christ's farewell address. This is writing, or this right here, as we consider, is a time that lasted 10 days in this passage. There was a waiting, a tearing, okay? Um, And it was no longer than that. It was just 10 days from the Lord told him to go and wait. So in Christian service, there's a delicate balance. I want you to catch this. There's a balance between spending time with the Father that would be in worship, praise, devotion, intimacy with Him, and obeying the Father's command in the ministry of outreach. You guys see there's a balance there. So waiting in the upper room where they spent a good part of the 10 days must have been a very sweet time. I think about what must have taken place after they saw their risen Lord and this promise was given. And wait, okay? There's a promise coming. It must have been awesome, okay? The prayer time must have been intense. The fellowship had to be sweet, okay? Just thanking Jesus (laughs) in the moment for what he did and accomplished, overcoming sin, hell, and death. Um, So there are times, And even now, 2,000 years later, we share in times like that. Yesterday morning, we had a group of men get together for prayer. There was a sweetness in that. And then the ladies let me sit in in their planning meeting for the (laughs) women's retreat this spring. And it was just good hearing the hearts and the concern of the women in the church for all you sisters. What is God wanting to do? You know, and it was so cool is we heard hearts 
and things were kind of coming together on what the theme might be for the retreat this spring, I'm just like, holy cow, this is exactly what I'm teaching tomorrow, and they don't even know. <laughs> it's like the Spirit of God is just doing some very unique things and speaking into our body here, and it's, it's sweet to be in fellowship, to be in the presence of God, and those times are precious. They are needed. But then there's a sudden until that hits. <laughs> until, until. And I don't know if you guys feel that way, but sometimes we feel like we're waiting and we're waiting. Well, when's the till, God? <laughs> when is it going to happen? Well, the until takes effect and they receive the power they've been waiting for. They've been waiting for something. And it was time for ministry. Okay? They had their sweet time. They had their fellowship. But now it was time to go. And that's when practical application comes into place. The power that they would receive would enable them to do the work in the ministry. So within 24 hours of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, they had produced 3,000 unpolished disciples who needed care and nurture in the Christian faith. And the action sparked that day lasted for 30 years in the book of Acts. That's pretty exciting. I pray for revival. I hope you guys pray for revival. But the sad reality is, if the Spirit of God would drop in the Fox Valley, just 5% of our population being converted, coming to faith in Christ, if only 5%, that's 5 out of 100 people, would get saved, we don't have enough churches right now in the valley to take care of just 5% of the population getting saved. We pray for revival, but are we ready for revival? And to be honest with you, brothers and sisters of Freedom Fellowship, if revival falls, you're not welcome here anymore. You have learned the word of God. You know the truth. You need to make disciples you open up your homes daily and you begin to preach and share the gospel with those who come. Because there will be so many, we aren't going to have room. And we are going to need ministers like crazy. That's exciting to me. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, Bible studies to midnight. <laughs> you know, It would be fun. So let's take a look here. Verse 4. We covered the first... Uh, three verses last week. We're doing four this week, so we're picking up the pace. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me, for truly John, he, he baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're told to go wait. Keep your finger here. Flip over to Luke 24 for a moment. Because we also see it here in Luke 24, verse 49. And again, Luke is the same one who authored the book of Acts. And it says in verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are 
<laughs> endowed with power from on high. So they were given marching orders. Okay, go and wait. <laughs> you guys ever feel that from God? Go <laughs> and wait. Really? <laughs> what do you mean wait? How long are we talking? Because I live in America. Everything's now. I got a smartphone. Now, you know, when am I going to get the next podcast on what to do, God? Well, there's times where we do just need to wait because he's doing things. And I don't know if you guys ever question what he's doing, but I've kind of learned it doesn't really matter because he's the one that's on the throne. He's doing things. I'm never going to understand this side of heaven. And I just got to be okay with that. I read in the book of uh, Exodus is a great example. You guys remember that God had delivered the children of Israel, had told them to leave and go to the promised land. I have this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey for you guys. You guys know how long they had to wait? 400 years. 400 years. But I've often wondered, what was God doing in those 400 years? Because that land had gotten so bad. They were so pagan. They were so against the God of Israel. I think he was probably being long-suffering and trying to draw those people to himself during that time. And they just hardened their hearts more and more. And there was a time that was set and it was ready. And we need to be ready. We talk about revival. Well, young pastor, I've been praying for revival longer than you've been alive. I don't know, but I don't want to put God in a box either. It could happen at any time. That excites me. And if you do have the mindset that God's given up on America, get to know my God. Don't put him in a box. Look at verse 6 and 8 back in Acts chapter 1. And this is what will be... Uh, narrowing in on this morning it says in verse six therefore when they had come together they asked him saying lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel and he said to them not for you to know the time or the seasons which the father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So we must not allow the time spent in pre-ministry spiritual formation to extend indefinitely. Let me put a PS onto this. I said earlier in Christ Christian service, there's a delicate balance between this time of spending with the Father, the worship, the praise, the intimacy, and then the obeying of the Father's command to be in ministry, doing outreach. See, we must always maintain that balance. We must do that. So what I'm saying is, don't become professional terriers. <laughs> okay? Don't do that. See, we don't have the intimacy. If we don't have the intimacy, we're not going to have the power to do the ministry. It's important 
to have that sweet alone time pressing into Jesus. We need that. But as necessary as food is to the human body, okay, but food, if like tarrying, can be overdone. <laughs> you guys get the point. <laughs> you can't just stay there, okay? We, we want to be right. We want to be well. We want to be good for the outreach, for what God's called us to. So we must arise from the upper room and go to our neighbors. We need to go to those in the Fox Valley and beyond until every man, woman, and child hear the gospel. Okay? I'm not going to give up on service to the Lord until that happens. And I decided that many, many years ago. I came to know Jesus. I understood who he was. And by his grace, he gave me an understanding of what life's about. Now, my flesh has definitely gotten in the way. <laughs> but I come back to this is right. This is why I'm here. And until the day I die, God, you have my life. I'm going to serve you. And brothers and sisters, it's not a special calling. That's a calling that he gives to all of his children, every single one of us. So, verse 5 talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, unfortunately, there's many differences of understanding about what is meant by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's been used by enemy, by the enemy big time, to separate uh, segments of the body of Christ, especially over the last hundred years. I took in a conference online last week, or last week, last year, um, where there was a segment of the church that I believe are believers, born again, coming against any workings of the Holy Spirit and saying that any believers that actually function in the gifts of the Spirit or walk with the Spirit um, are, are of the enemy because God doesn't work that way anymore. Um, and they're not churches. They're false teachers if they teach the Holy Spirit, you know, giftings and baptism of it of him um and it's just like what is going on you know is this really happening today in the church there's so much division that comes and i think it's one of those things people are just uninformed and they don't want to study out they don't want to look to uh, and they're just scared to experience the holy spirit well i don't know the bible tells us that he's a comforter right yeah I don't know about you guys. I want a comforter in my life. I want a helper. I want God in my life. And if it's the Holy Spirit, it's God in my life. Absolutely. So there are sincere believers on all sides that are seeking the same thing. Okay? And namely, for most um, parts of the church, they want to be used by the Holy Spirit in ministry. And that's the overall heart of most Christians. So there are three um, separate terms used for the bestowing, uh, this power bestowing event that Luke is talking about here when it comes to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it's used only one more time in all of the book of Acts, which you guys can turn to chapter 11 with me and we'll take a look at it in verse 16. It's where Peter explains what happens what happened there um, at the house of Cornelius? Let's take a look at verses 15 and 16 together. 
It says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And when I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this happened again at a later time. Go back just one chapter to chapter 10. We also see it here in verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed, so those were Jews, uh, and they were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So there is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit taking place. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. I think we sense the Spirit of God, the presence of God, but how many of us have experienced just the falling of the Holy Spirit just consume? I hope you have. I'd love for that to happen every time we get together. The one danger I see is people get focused on that because <laughs> the Holy Spirit, we're told, does one thing. Points us to Jesus. Okay, Everything he does directs us back to him. Okay? And that's the purpose. Are we a spirit-filled church? I sure hope so. I hope as we go through the whole counsel of God, as we take his word seriously, that yeah, the Holy Spirit is working in turning our eyes and our hearts to Jesus. That is so important. So the Holy Spirit came upon these guys in this way, uh, and he'll do that. And there may be times where the Spirit falls in that way. And you need to know that it's him. Um, I've had several times over the year in the jail where I've met with people. And when I meet with these guys who are incarcerated, the rooms are pretty small. The tables are small. We're face to face in this little room. And we begin to speak about things of God. I open up the scriptures with them. Begin to proclaim Jesus. And I've had several men over the years look at me what is going on? What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. You cannot deny Him. It is one of the coolest things. But I will tell you, that intensity of the Spirit, I wish it was with us every week when we gathered. But my fear, brothers and sisters, are we are so familiar with Jesus we desire that, and we'll even try to manufacture that within the church. We'll play on people's emotions, and it all becomes about the experience. But I can tell you in truth, I experience the Spirit of God in that way when I am preaching the Word of God, and namely when I am out preaching it to people who don't know it, have not heard it, when I'm being a witness of Jesus. That's been the times I've sensed the Spirit most strongly in my life. And some of you guys might be like, well, that's great, I want that. Do you witness? Do you share your faith? Didn't Jesus say that these signs and wonders will follow those who what? Are out proclaiming the gospel. Okay? 
Those signs and wonders aren't to be in the church among believers. It's to be going out as a witness. We already know, okay? A miracle, it ain't going to bring me to Christ. I'm already a believer. You see, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Upon. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. That word upon, you can put right next to that, E-P-I, epi. It's the Greek word. Okay, it's a unique word okay, describing this relational experience with the Holy Spirit. He shall come upon you. We also read in the scripture about being filled with the Spirit. Okay, so we have a, a repetitive times in an individual believer's life that we're filled with the Spirit. Don't we pray that all the time? God, I love a fresh filling of the Spirit today. You know, I'm about to step out in faith here. Please fill me up, God. You know, I need you. He's never apart from us, but there are times. And guys, I pray it all the time. I prayed it this morning. I'm tired, and I need to get up, and I need to preach this morning. Would you fill me up refresh? (laughs) I don't want to get up. I don't want anything said this morning to be of me. I just want to speak of you. I want your people to see you, Jesus, to be stirred up in your word today. And I know without you, it's pointless. (laughs) I'll just make a mess of it. And I don't know if you guys get it or not. I'm not trying to be persuasive. I'm just trying to speak the truth. I could be a little more charismatic. I could put more slides together that are beautiful and awesome. But the reality is, it's the Word of God that's going to stir us, guys. And we're taking time to slow down here we're not just going to read through what happened in the early church and wow, no. What happened in the early church? Why did all the things that took place over 30 years and all these people who came to faith in Jesus, how did this happen? Well, let's slow down. <laughs> what happened is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <laughs> That's what happened. And if it's what was the catalyst to all that took place, I think we should get a grasp on that. I think we should understand the importance of this. You see, there are many discussions when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are many disagreements. There's arguments on how many times one can be baptized or filled with the Spirit. Whether it occurs at salvation or subsequent conversion, whether it's the initial physical evidence to clearly that it did happen or uh, not is more important to some, okay? There's a lot of different takes on it. Um, I'm going to share with you guys what I believe, and I wasn't going to do that um, because there is a purpose behind... What The thing that matters is that, yes, we see our need of the Spirit <laughs> and we're asking for the Spirit, Okay? But as I was up for several hours in the middle of the night, I was impressed. No, I need to teach what I see the scriptures say into this. Because there is a lot of controversy, and I don't care. I'm sick of all the controversy. Let's just be the church and do. But we also need to know what we believe and why we believe it, you know, that we can stand in the truth. And this is something that I see is just very divisive in the church today. Um, And it was really something that being with you gals yesterday, considering 
um, the, the retreat for the women this spring and just the questions that came up and the clarity that's being asked for. I already had studies set and I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was chewing on it all day yesterday, praying on it. So I'm going to briefly just go through um, what I see the scriptures teaching and we're going to flip to a few scriptures because whoop do do what I think. <laughs> do we see it in the word of God? Do you guys agree? All right. So this is what I see and believe. I, I think there's three distinct relationships uh, that we have with the Holy Spirit that one can, according to the scripture. One relationship exists prior to conversion. Another at, con at conversion and then the last is an experience that some believers have sometime after their conversion. There are three uh, prepositions used in scriptures uh, that have helped me come to this conclusion. Um, and they're referred to um, in the scriptures uh, as para and epi, or with. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit is upon us. We see all three taught in scripture now uh, two of these are found in a passage in john 14 if you guys will turn there john chapter 14 we'll look at verses 16 and 17 so we're going to look at each one of these prepositions respectively here um, in verse 16, it states this, Jesus speaking, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he will, and this is, of course, speaking of the Holy Spirit. You guys can go back and read the context of it. That the Holy Spirit, that he, the Holy Spirit, may be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because he neither, neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So you guys see Jesus speaking here. There's a difference there. He's with us, and he's going to be in us. And in us is what I believe Jesus is speaking about. For a person to enter the kingdom of God, he must be born again. Right? John chapter 3. Some people don't like us talking about being born again as Christians. We shouldn't use that terminology because there's denominations that don't believe in that. Well, I don't care what they believe. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to go with Jesus and not your denomination. Okay? <laughs> so you need to believe, be born again. Because even the demons believe, right? You know, you need to be a child of God. You need to be all in. You need to be born again. And we find support for this here, what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of John, um, uh, in also in relationship to Acts. Okay, So let's turn back to Acts chapter 1 for a moment. Okay, And we're going to find support here. Now that we have the Spirit with us, a person comes to faith in Christ, the Spirit is in them. Okay, And then we see... The, the support for the third relationship here in verse 5, which we've read a couple times and what Jesus just referred to. Uh, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So there's a distinction there. There is something the Holy Spirit does, an experience we have, where 
he does something with a believer that empowers them for a work that he wants to do. And we've seen that in the Old Testament, haven't we? Have we not read over and over again at different times where the Spirit of God would come upon a person and they would do a great feat for the glory of God? Beautiful things. And sometimes we see that happen today. Hey, I know them. <laughs> what are they doing? What is going on? You know, it's, it's Jesus, okay? It's God empowering, okay? Uh, 15 years ago, uh, Charlie and I would make up these crazy videos together and we had a TV show called Reality Check. And Reality Check, of course, was Do You Know Jesus? But it was out there. It was locally broadcast throughout the valley here. And people would watch. How did I know they would watch? Because I became a celebrity. No, <laughs> we were not that popular. But I would bump into people and people would be like, I know you. Hey, you're that guy preaching the Bible with a bandana on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've gotten secure with my baldness. Um, <laughs> but the thing that was really cool with the TV show is uh, shortly after we started that, Facebook became popular. And I made an account. And something that happens when you first jump onto Facebook, everybody that you went to high school with finds you. And it's just like, oh, you're sucked into high school again. You know? And I started getting these messages, land in what happened to you. What happened to you? I saw you on TV. I remember you. What happened to you? And I loved replying, Jesus happened to me. <laughs> it was Jesus. But I remember you. You're on television. You're teaching. You're teaching the word. I remember you. You couldn't even read. What are you doing teaching others? What happened? Some of you guys know I grew up with uh, having a hard time understanding anything because I couldn't read, therefore I couldn't comprehend. School was very hard. And it was one of those things, my classmates, I'd have to read out loud in front of everybody else in my class, 30 other students, and I hated going to school. I hated having to be put in that position. But something happened when I was 18, I was about to graduate from high school. I was baptized in the Spirit of God. I grew up believing in Jesus. I knew if I died, I'd go to heaven. I believed. But there was one night, a couple months before I graduated from high school, where Jesus crashed in in such a radical way, he confronted me face to face and asked, Son, what are you going to do with your life? I want you to do my work. Are you willing? Are you willing to live for me? Are you willing to minister for me? And I surrendered that night. That's all I did. It was one of the first times I'd been to a youth group. The church I grew up in had a very small youth group. <laughs> this youth group had people, lots of kids, young people loving Jesus. And my first night at this cool big youth group, I cried the entire night. I just lost it before God because all my dreams, I'm about to graduate from high school, I get to leave mom and dad, I get to start my own life, I had all these dreams, 
Jesus says, nope, son, (laughs) I want you to go this way. (laughs) And I had a choice. Am I going to be a son of the king who's about his dad's business? Or am I going to be a son of the king that doesn't really want to have a relationship with his heavenly father any longer and just go do his own thing? Not that I would have lost my salvation or anything. It was one of those things he was asking, hey, be a part of the family business. There's people I love. There's people I've died for that don't have a clue. They need to hear. You're going to go. And something happened to me that night. My mom bought me a Bible a few months previously. It was an old King James. I couldn't read. <laughs> Put a King James version <laughs> in a kid's hand who can't read. But after that night, I couldn't put that book down. I still had a hard time reading. But I'd read something 10, 20 times until I got it. And I just kept reading and reading, no matter how hard it was, because I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to know Jesus. I started serving in that youth ministry. In the, I don't want to speak ill of the ministry. God used it big time in my life. That's where I got baptized in the Spirit. But as I began to lead a lot of what we were doing with the kids, it was, it was game time. Let's get together and just play. And I had such a burden, okay? I, I, I could barely read, but I wanted the kids to know the Bible, okay? I don't know if you came when we had the junior high kids over at my house, over by the tech. There'd be times we'd have 60, 70, 80 junior high kids coming out and we were given by the youth ministry all the games and stuff we were supposed to do for icebreakers that night. Nope. Kids, let's open up to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs were easy to read because it's just like one short little statement for me. I can comprehend one sentence. But that's all I knew. I knew they needed the word. And the reason why that group grew so big is we were just giving them the word of God and these kids... We're just eating it up. They were eating it up. I tried so hard. I had a best friend who would sleep over all the time growing up, and I'd sleep over at his house. And I remember many, many conversations I tried to have with him about Jesus and stuff. He wanted nothing to do with it. I invited my other friends to concerts, different things, tried to talk about Jesus, no impact whatsoever. I'd go out to Perkins till 2, 3 in the morning with some of my best friends because it's the only place that was open for teenagers all night. And we'd have our coffee and bread bowl. And, you know, we'd talk about the deep things of life. And I tried because I'm the Christian. I'd try to talk about things of the Lord, but nothing ever hit. Within a couple of months of me being baptized in the Spirit when I was 18, I'd led handsfuls of people to Jesus. What changed? Not me. I'm still the same guy. The Holy Spirit. And I think the only reason that happened is because I said yes. That's it. Nothing in me. I just said yes. And that's what God is asking all of us. Are you in? Or are you not? It doesn't matter how together you are or how messed up you are. I'll even take the foolish things of the world 
I'll even take someone who didn't take an, you know, take an SAT because he didn't even know if he could read the test to actually answer the questions. I'll take someone who never read a book in his entire life. Yeah, I got through school without reading a book. <laughs> I'll do that. That's our God. He just wants a willing heart. That is it. Because who gets the glory then? And that's what I loved sharing with my friends from high school. What happened, Landon? All glory to God. All glory to God. My life has purpose. It has meaning. And it's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride. Don't miss out on what God has, guys. You see, getting back to what I believe (laughs) with the Holy Spirit, I share that experience because I believe there is an experience that a lot of Christians never, ever have. They don't even know that there is an empowering from our Heavenly Father that He desires to give to His children. They want to do, they want to serve, they want to share, and they don't know how. We don't know how because it's Him. He's the one that knows how. And He's the one who's going to enable us to do. So when the Scriptures tell us here in Acts 1.8 that you shall receive, okay, It's a receiving of a gift. You have to receive it by faith. I receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, stepping back for a second, concerning that first relationship, we're told the Spirit dwells with all unbelievers prior to conversion for the purpose of convicting them of sin and convincing them that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Okay, We see that in Scripture. Turn back to John with me for a second, chapter 16. Now, there are some in the church that don't read the scriptures the way they are meant to be within context. You'll have some brothers and sisters in a Reformed camp that speak of this, saying the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with unbelievers. Okay? God is only going to save the people he wants to save, and the Holy Spirit's only going to work in their lives, period. And it tells us here in John 16, 8, and when he comes, speaking of the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God, when he has come, he will convict, okay, or convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, okay? And we know from the context, the intent of the Gospel of John is a whole, is that, hey, these things are written that you may believe and that in believing you may be saved. That's the whole purpose behind it. And we're told here, and I encourage you guys to read chapters 14, 15, and 16, so it really talks about the Holy Spirit and the working of the Spirit um, in life. And one of those things I, I believe is that God died for all people. He loves all people. And that His Holy Spirit is at work with all people. We're told in Titus that the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching them, okay, well, it is God's grace, and He's doing this through His Holy Spirit. He's at work today on people, and there are people who are hardening themselves to Him. Okay? So when you get the people who say, well, what about the people who never hear in Africa? <laughs> Don't put my God in a box! 
Okay? So we got a bunch of people who are disobedient and not living out the Great Commission. Is that going to stop our God from revealing himself to his creation? No. Even creation itself testifies of him. Do you guys know that? And then you get the Holy Spirit on top of it. Some of you guys remember my friend Rhonda. She married a guy from the Middle East. Do you guys remember where he was from? Was it Iran, Iraq? Where? No, was it Jordan? I don't remember. One of the countries. But I remember talking to him. He didn't know any other Christians. <laughs> Stuff. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, impressed upon him the truth of the gospel and who Jesus was. Okay? Predominant Muslim country. <laughs> this is where he grew up. And you guys can read. Read the stories. Read the testimonies of their saints. There are so many neat times where a missionary sh never showed up, but the gospel went forth in supernatural ways. And like this guy, he finally meets a Christian years later, and everything that the Spirit had been teaching him and showing him is lining up perfectly with the Word of God. What's up with that? <laughs> so don't put God in a box. But then you're like, well, why aren't more people coming to the Lord? Study your Bibles. We love darkness. We want our own way. You know, we've tasted and we've seen how good it is and we don't get why people reject him. Okay. Why would they want to do that? But then in truth, we know the other side of the coin. We're selfish. We're self-centered. We're fleshy. And we struggle, even as believers, don't we struggle? And that's why the one thing God wants us to do is to continually just surrender. Yield, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's all he's asking us to do. So, you guys see that here. Okay, the Spirit of God is working on people in the world. And then I believe the second relationship with the Holy Spirit takes place during conversion and is this experience whereby the Holy Spirit comes in, to dwell in the believer, being born again. And that's where conversion and sanctification begins to happen and it is a beautiful thing and for some of us that happens in a radical way crazy experience some of us come to faith in christ and it's a gradual change in our life but the point is <laughs> have you personally believed have you personally received jesus christ as your lord and savior that's what matters because how a person you know that's the thing that's beautiful about christianity you guys know that you can grow spiritually. You become a mature believer as fast as you want. Do you know that? I know Christians who are six months old in the Lord that are mature than some of these saints who are 20 years old in the Lord still wearing spiritual diapers because they continue to resist what God's wanting to do. Like God has asked them, son, daughter, you now have put your faith in me. This is the next step. I want you to do this. Well, I don't want to do that. That's going to cost me something. Yeah. But it's worth it. Because <laughs> dad knows best. And when all is said and done, but you're asking me to give up. Maybe even a career. I'm, I got my 10-year plan set out here. Retirement's right around the corner and you want me to leave that job? 
That doesn't make any sense. Now, I don't know what God calls people to do. It's going to be different for all of us. All I know is whatever he's asking, no matter how big or small it is, you just do it. You just do it. And why is God going to give more if you're not obedient with the little things he gives you? I want to do ministry. I want to be plugged in. Why can't I be doing those things? Maybe, brother, it's just simply because God's asked you to love your wife. Start at home. If you can't do it in your own home, how are you supposed to do it somewhere else? Just do what God asks you to do. And let me tell you, if you're faithful in little things, he's going to give more. That's our God. And when it's all said and done, it's not about that either. Isn't it just about when it's all said and done to hear your dad say, well done, good and faithful servant? That's what it's all about, guys. So, I'm sorry. This personal thought and take on this is taking much longer than I thought. (laughs) Um, So are you guys tracking with me, though, what I'm seeing in Scripture so far? So to be born again in that sanctification, and this is the process of confirming every believer or conforming us to be more like Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus is doing by his Spirit in us? He's making us more and more like him every day. Every time we see each other, okay, we should see each other being a little more like Jesus. Okay, that's what should be happening. Okay, and if we see a brother or sister that's not like, oh man, some of the conversations yesterday, men prayer was so good yesterday. And honestly, the heart of the men that were there yesterday, part of our heart was, I wish other men would come and partake. This is good. It's so needed for the body of Christ. It is. I had one brother say, this is, this is, this is the real part of church. Okay? This is where it gets real. This is where the stuff happens. And that's, <laughs> that's it, guys. And it's one of those things, well, am I willing to give up a little bit of sleep? <laughs> Get up early. I only do it once a month. Anyways, let's get back to this. 2 Corinthians 3.18, you can jot that down, but this really talks into what God is doing by sanctification. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, So it's the Holy Spirit that is working in us to conform us. So, if you're into the Self-help Christian living books? Burn them. (laughs) No, there's some practical good advice in books from brothers and sisters. But if you don't get that it's Jesus, His Holy Spirit changing us and conforming, you're missing it. If you think it's a book and you and your own efforts sucking it up and doing it yourself, it's nothing really. You're wasting your time. So, uh, let's talk about the third relationship. And that's what we're talking about this morning here. This is the third that I see is the relationship with the Holy Spirit can take place. Um, Really, it can happen at conversion, but I think most times it takes place after a person's been saved. There's an experience in the life of a believer uh, where they experience um, that this experience Uh, provides um, by some objective evidence of some dynamic power that can only be explained. This is God. This is the Holy Spirit. It is the power of God. 
um, and it's taking effect in my witness of Jesus. Okay, when I got baptized in the Spirit, I wasn't like on my soapbox at school, like, yo! <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> but there was just an empowering that my time with my friends at Perkins, which I had for a long time, now I'm talking about God and you guys want to talk about God. What changed? What happened? And there would be times I wouldn't even bring things up. People would just start asking. I just started walking with the Lord and my best friend that I had since sixth grade couldn't stand it. <laughs> he started talking behind my back to all my other friends. Watch out for Landon. He's a Jesus freak. Blah, blah. And honestly, not much changed. I still call him up. Hey, you want to sleep over? You want to play some vids? Let's go throw the football around. I still want to be your friend. <laughs> but he couldn't stand that there was something different. And it was the empowering of the Spirit of God. You see, experience, this experience gives um, to the believer uh, the ability to be an effective witness. Also, there's gifts that might come. You might be given the gift of tongues or healing. There's different gifts that the Lord will give. And I think the two phrases in Scripture that we see about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of of the Holy Spirit are synonymous phrases uh, that are the same thing. So understanding this is an experience uh, is distinct from conversion. Um, I think that's important. Some believers have a relationship with the Spirit and some don't. Do you have that relationship with the Spirit? Do you? Well, maybe you don't. What do you do? Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now I believe the context of Luke here is speaking about salvation, conversion. But I think it's a principle that would also apply to the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at verse 9 here in Luke 11. So I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Okay? If you actually look into the tense of the Greek there, it says to keep asking, keep knocking. Okay, you got to keep doing it, guys. So seek it, seek it. Okay? I've been baptized in the Spirit of God. I speak in tongues. I would love to interpret tongues. Whoop-de-doo, I know a ton of people who speak in tongues, but wouldn't it be cool to know what that heavenly tongue is actually saying? I'm envious of my brothers and sisters that have that. Like, oh, I, want, I want that, you know? <laughs> But we keep asking. I'm not going to give up and just say, well, God didn't give it to me. whoop do you know? No, keep asking. But I love how he concludes this thought then. In verse 11, he says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he uh, give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Wow. So, that's my take (laughs) on what I see in Scripture. I'd encourage you guys to study it out. Um, I do think, whether you agree with me or not on what the Spirit says or the Scriptures say about this, I think we all can agree that we need to receive supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. Amen? We all do. We need it in our lives. We need it in our ministries. Um, And we really need it to the greatest extent possible in our lives just because um, the world needs to know. The world needs to know. They need to hear. So he has provided us power for our daily living. It's the difference between running an automobile, say, without oil and with oil. You can run it without gas. The car would stop, right? But if you're running it without oil... It will run for a little while, but the repair is going to be very costly. So, it is with uh, the Christian life also. Okay, um, I forgot. I was going to bring an illustration with me this morning. Uh, I got this cup, but I don't have another pitcher of water. <laughs> but I was going to just pour out a pitcher of water to represent our life. Okay, And when we are empowered by the Spirit of God, living that spirit-filled life, the Lord just keeps pouring in and there's going to be an overflow in our lives. And that's the thing that is most needed. I spoke before about that balance that is needed in life. That is a balance I'm really trying to strike. Okay? It's not for myself. I love you guys. And I know the best that I can do for you guys is my own personal holiness that I'm in a place of receiving from the Lord. And if I'm not taking the time because I'm too busy ministering (laughs) and being busy and outreaching, I'm not going to be receiving and there's not going to be an overflow. And that's one of the reasons why some changes have taken place in my life personally lately. And I share that with you guys, not to, oh, great, pastor. No, I think it's good for all of us to evaluate what is most needed right now in this season of life to what God's calling me to. And there might be times of timeouts. (laughs) There might be times that you get off your lazy butts and go do what God's asked you to do. And there might be those times of really seeking him to find that balance, that healthy balance to what he has called you to. So, uh, let's go back to Acts. Jesus said at this time, so the times and seasons in verse 6 and 7, Dates of such things were matters within God's own purposes and authority. Again, he knows what's up. So instead, he directs the disciples toward their task, which was to what? To be his witnesses. To be his witnesses. We here at Freedom Fellowship believe Jesus could come back at any time. We believe we're living in the last days. Okay? And we should live like that. And if he doesn't come back in our lifetime, it shouldn't change the way we live, guys. We shouldn't be opting out on things in life because Jesus might come back. Just live for yourself. Rack up some credit cards. Whoop-dee-doo. Don't do that. I don't know. I don't know when he's coming back. I believe it could be today. 
But if he comes back in 20, 40 years from now, I want us to have equipped our kids, the next generation, that they too are living out the Great Commission, that we are on mission with Jesus, no matter what. Because I don't know if you guys looked around or not, but we got open seats. I don't know if you guys looked around or not, there's a whole lot of people that are going to hell that don't have a clue about who Jesus is. Not until every man, woman, and child is heard, guys. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things of the Lord, right, belong to the Lord, our God, but those which are revealed to us um, are revealed, or they belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. So there are things that God has made us privy to. We're responsible for that. We're to be faithful with that. There's many of us in the church today that just kind of go through the motions. I do church. I believe. That's just what I do. Shame on us. It's not just what we do. That is everything we do. And God has revealed these things to us. There's going to be secret things out there that we don't get. But what we do know, we need to be faithful with. I want you guys to also note Israel. Some believe that God is completely done with Israel and the church has become the fulfillment of all future prophecies. And if that was so, why wouldn't Jesus just have said, hey, have you understood yet? There isn't going to be any kingdom. I don't understand how people have come to those conclusions. Pray for Israel. God's not done with them, okay? Um, Let's go back. Are you guys in Acts? Look at verse 8 again. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay? So he's promised this to believers. Um, Jesus' last words, okay? This is his last words. Yet, not as a dying man, but really as the Lord of glory, right? Okay? This isn't what you would expect his last words to be, but this is the last thing he tells us. So, He taught in John 14 through chapter 16 that he was going to go back to heaven to represent us and that we were to be here on earth representing him. You guys see how that works? We're working with him. That he would be in heaven as our ambassador and that we would be here on earth as his ambassadors. So the power that is spoken of here, power for what? Well, power for daily living in thousands of ways guys do you understand that there's so many things and shame on us when we say god i got this this part of my life i got this figured out. i don't need you here maybe for that but not this i'm doing pretty good on my own shame on you shame on me you guys remember in exodus 31 i love the first few verses that god filled individuals with the spirit of god for purposes for reasons some to do sewing, some to do embroidering, some to do dressmaking. Those are spiritual things? Absolutely. Every part of our lives, guys. In verse 10 of that chapter, they made these things for Aaron and the priests. In all manners of workmanship, in verses 3 and 5. So if you're a laborer who does his job every day in his own strength, okay? You can be that. Look at me, I'm working hard, I'm providing for my family. Or are you one that says, Lord, help me to work that I can reveal you in my labor. 
Christians should be the best employees there are. And if you're an employer, you should be the best employer there is. Why? Because everything you do is to glory of God. You should work hard. I did this when I was shortly after I was baptized in the Spirit. Uh, I was a young man. I wanted a car. I wanted to do things. I wanted to have fun. I wanted my music. All that takes money, right? So I had a few jobs, quite a few jobs in a short span of time. But during every interview, I, and it, it could have been pride, but I really like, no, I'm going to do this because it's for God. And I told them, I will be the best employee you have. I just need Sundays off. <laughs> I told every single one of them, you know, God is my priority. I need Sundays off. But if you're willing to hire me, I will be the best employee you have. And I did see the hand of God just give me favor in a lot of those jobs. They liked me around. They appreciated my work ethic. Um, and again, it wasn't me. I really felt like when I was at work that I was there for a purpose and it wasn't making a paycheck. Okay? It was to be a light. And I know some of you are where you are just for that purpose. You're doing not what you want to do, but you're there because you feel God's called you there for a purpose. And uh, that's good. Uh, so whatever you do, maybe you're in sales, okay, uh, who does his job every day in his own crafty ways, or maybe you're in a place of saying, Lord God, I don't want to lie about my product. I'll say, say things exactly as they are, and I'm not going to oversell anything. So if you think you're full, he will leave you empty. And if you admit that you're empty, he's going to fill you up with all strength, power, and might for the Christian life. Now we're called to be witnesses, right? That's the purpose here, to be witnesses. And I want to explain the, some different types of uh, evangelism that's out there, okay? We'll call it E1, E2, and E3, okay? So the E stands for evangelism, and then the number would represent the number of barriers that we would have to cross in order to do it. Now, E1 would be monocultural evangelism, right? If we're to be baptized with the Spirit of God, this power to be witnesses, well, then we got to go witness. Well, how do we do that? How does that look for us? Well, the monocultural evangelism, there's only one barrier, okay, um, to move outside the church. <laughs> Great. We all can sit here and agree this morning, <laughs> but unless we actually leave here, nothing's going to happen. We can play church. We can be closet Christians. We need to go. Some have called this stained glass barrier. Okay? We talk about it, but we don't actually go and do it. And too many Christians fail to cross it. You don't have to learn a new language. You don't have to eat different foods. You don't have to adopt new believer or behaviors uh, in your patterns. You just have to communicate the good news to people just like yourselves. Okay? So that's E1. E2 and E3, they both cross a cultural barrier. Okay, there's a difference of one degree. An example would be Anglo-Americans evangelizing to Mexican-Americans because of cult cultures have uh, comparative minor differences. Okay, and we work with others in that way. E3, example of that would not, you wouldn't have to move to Guam and learn Guamish. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't have to be that extreme. 
I think they actually speak tomorrow or something like that. Uh, but the point is, okay, you could come on Wednesday down to the Freedom Center food pantry and there will be a generation of Hmong people who don't speak a lick of English and you want to share Jesus with them because you know they're still caught up into the old spirituals that they've brought from their homeland and they want nothing to do with Jesus, but you can't even talk to them. How are you going to communicate? And that is a hard barrier to cross and you don't have to cross oceans for that to happen. It's right here in our own backyard. So, most people are one to Christ through E1 evangelism. It has always been that way. It always will be. It's the easiest, the most natural, most effective kind of evangelism. Jesus was a monocultural evangelist, right? The first that got saved were the 120 Jews, (laughs) his own people. So Jesus promised them, sorry, my slides are all messed up. Um, Jesus promised them power, right? Okay, you guys, you 120, you're now saved. You're going to be witnesses. You just got baptized in the Spirit, right? Um, And now there's a world-sized task that's set before you. I'm going to rattle off a few scriptures. Matthew 28, 19, make disciples of all nations. Didn't you tell them that? All nations. Mark 16, 15, preach the gospel to who? Every creature. Luke 24, 47, repent and remission of sins should be preached in the name, or his name, to all nations. John 20, 21, as the Father sent you, I also send you. And four out of the five, John the exception, specify international, a global scope of the evangelical task mandated by Jesus. So another occasion, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. When is Jesus going to come back? when everybody's heard and the gospel's been preached to all nations. This seems to indicate that the world evangelism is not an endless task, but there is a divine timeline. The specific goal is not to, well, it is, I, I believe God's ordained order program is the church. And we need outposts throughout the entire world. That's all it is. That if revival does happen, (laughs) we're ready. We're set to make disciples, to teach, to go. Um, So it's making uh, sustainable national churches around the world. And I think that's something that we as a church really need to pray into. You know, great, we're on mission here in the Fox Valley. This is good. There's a purpose for us being here. But what about our Judea and Samaria? What about our outer parts of the world? How does that look? Some missiologists suggest that the first time in Christian history that there's a light at the end of the Great Commissional Tunnel. The body of Christ has human resources, they have material resources, and the spiritual resources to complete the task. Of course, no human plan or strategy could possibly accomplish this task. It can only be done with Uh, with extraordinary outpouring supernatural of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it can happen. 
The most challenging task lies ahead of us in what is known as the 1040 window. How many of you guys are familiar with this? Okay, a few of you guys. A few of you aren't. I'm going to close with talking into this a little bit. Um, the Christian uh, mission strategist, Lewis Bush, uh, who started calling this rectangular area the 1040 window, he used it as an easy-to-remember name because it lies across Africa and Asia from 10 to 40 degrees latitude north of the equator. So mission statistics in this 1040 window, center of the population, guys, of the entire world, two-thirds of the world's population, more than 3.2 billion people live in this 1040 window. Unreached and unevangelized, 95% of the people living in this 1040 window um, are unevangelized, haven't heard. Many never have heard the gospel message even one time. Uh, the good news is there's a difference between unreached and unreachable. In 1989, there were only four known Christians living in Mongolia. Today in that country, there's an estimated 10,000 so things are happening, okay? And of course, they're all indigenous believers there. Christian TV can now be received. Um, the, they, they're hearing the gospel where it's not allowed to be preached in some areas, just over the airwaves. Also, the poverty in this area, 85, catch this, 85% of those living in the 1040 win window are the poorest of the poor in the entire world in the least evangelized cities. Uh, half of the world's least evangelized cities are also in this window. Well, people ask, isn't my neighbor next door just as important? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the gospel's important to all. Isn't that the point, guys? So, we put an emphasis on the 1040 window um, it's in regard to access or the lack of access to the gospel, the viable church, and even to the scriptures. So the question is, what can we do? What can we do about it? Well, we can be praying for this very thing. For this very thing. Yesterday during men's prayer, we talked about the, uh, the extreme Muslims, uh, different uh, groups that there are in the world, uh, terrorists, um, and you know what? They fall in the 1040 window. <laughs> Christians are being persecuted like crazy. Over 90,000 believers were killed this last year. And so much of it's happening right here. We need to pray. We need to be praying for this region. We need to be praying for cross-cultural missionaries to go into these regions. We need to finance these different designated uh, uh, mission groups, get translations underway. Um, and the thing is, guys, God's power is available to God's people who want to do God's will and to be God's witnesses, right? Because everyone has a Jerusalem, everybody has a Judea and Samaria, and everybody has most outer parts of the earth. So maybe the ends of the earth, Spurgeon said this, maybe the ends of the earth imply those who have gone the farthest away from Christ. Go to him. What does that look like? Or maybe you had a neighbor just pop in your mind. Maybe the jail came to mind. 
Maybe it is those in the 1040 window. You see, to be his witnesses in both word and deed means communicating the verbal content, or content of the gospel in living God's way and not our own. So the central task of the people of God is this, okay? But it can be only accomplished by the power of the Spirit. I'm hoping that's what you guys are seeing here in the book of Acts. It's got to be him. I want you guys to think about this. This is our closing thought. I want you guys to think about the most beautiful mailbox you've ever seen in your entire life. Maybe it was in a rich neighborhood, because I know that's where the coolest one I ever saw was. <laughs> Maybe it's a wealthy neighborhood. Now I want you also, though, on the other hand, think about the oldest weather-beaten on some old dirt road somewhere, <laughs> falling over, <laughs> mailbox. The mailbox is important. And not because of what it is in itself, but because it belongs, but because of who it belongs to. It is a part of something greater than itself. You see, both boxes can be equally trusted with precious letters. But a mailbox disconnected or disconnected from its system would be useless. So it would neither receive nor transmit that stream of human communication from which it is made. So Father, as we... Uh, finish up our time together this morning we're thankful again for your word we're thankful for the provoking of your spirit I definitely sensed you doing things in our hearts opening our eyes to some things this morning and we're thankful for that we know a lot of people need to hear we are so thankful for those who came to us and shared the truth of the gospel with us. We thank you for them. We pray that you continue to bless them and their efforts. And we would pray personally. And I, I would want to think and want to believe that everybody here desires that empowering of your Holy Spirit. We don't want to see people uh, spending eternity to, uh, in separation from you, the one who loves them so much, who died for them, to find themselves in eternal torment. And we want, we want to share the good news with them, but we know that we need that empowering of your spirit to witness, to be bold. So we ask. That's what you've told us to do, so we're doing it. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. And we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing that till every man, woman, and child hears of you, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And we do pray, Father, there's great need in this 1040 window, there has been for a very, very long time. 
We pray for the saints that are there, uh, that you would be with them, even in the midst of persecution. Father, giving them boldness to stand in the truth and to speak your name, Jesus. We pray the gospel would continue to go forth in power. God, and continue, Father, to uh, just raise up those laborers that are needed. And I do pray that you'd help us to see what we could do, what our part is. Again, we are so thankful, Father, for all that you have done, that you haven't given up on us, that you're still at work. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to work with you. There's nothing like that, Dad. I do ask that you would, in our church family here, that you would just cultivate the things concerning your will for us. That you'd help us to build each other up for the work of the ministry that you've set before us. We want to see you high and lifted up, Jesus, exalted. We want to see people coming to know you. And we know, Lord, that we can't come up with a great game plan to make that happen. All we can do is yield to what you're wanting to do already. So please, use us, send us, Father. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, why don't you guys stand? Benediction time. How many of you guys looked up the verse? A few of you guys. That's awesome. All right. Still not going to tell you guys what the verse is. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. Amen.